Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. Nobody who is willing to make the appropriate declaration on truth and then willing to back it up with their whole life will ever go unrewarded as long as we don't define what that reward should be, as long as we don't define when that reward should come. We will get that reward. Well, let's go back. The war began on April 19, 1775. It ended officially in 1783, nearly two years after that great battle at Yorktown. 10,000 troops laid down their arms, British troops. Remember what I told you to remember a moment ago? Where do they find General Cornwallis of the British Army? Hiding in a cave. God has his way to make his truth known. The Americans made their bold declaration. They paid the price. And they reaped this with a great reward. And here's what I believe their great reward was. Their great reward was freedom and independence. And I don't think they did it just because they wanted another country to start with. But that's what it ended up. And how special that is today. I travel in many different countries. I've been in Myanmar. They don't have freedom there. I've been in Indonesia. Teaching and speaking there. They don't have it there. Three weeks ago I returned from Mongolia. Some freedom. But not like we have it. I've been to China. Inland China. They don't have their freedom there. The places that I've been, and I haven't been to very many, and I'm not trying to parade a, a travel log in front of you. I'm trying to let you know we go there to reach these people for Christ and then to train others to be able to take it when we go. And they don't have the freedom. And we have that freedom, and I'm so grateful that we do. So they do um, rejoice with the fact that they have this great privilege. Well, they made their declaration, they paid the price, and they, they got their reward I'm on a stage here talking to you publicly without the threat of persecution. Yeah, we might have some folks come in and shoot me and all that kind of stuff, but that might be a little bit isolated, less so as the days approach us. But nonetheless, I have that freedom. Those men and women who spilt their blood, that they can look back at us today and they could say, that's what I was willing to do. And so now that we have this, it's something that we need to do something and use it for his glory. So what I'd like to do now is I want to end by giving you the three principles again, but I want to show you how that approaches Christianity, okay? Let me begin by talking about the bold declaration that we need to make, our own bold declaration as a Christian and how important that that would be. <clears throat> to do that, I want to give you a moment to tell you my own personal testimony. I do that because my testimony is really his story in my life. God's story in my life. I grew up in a home where we never had a Bible. We never said grace. We never prayed, never went to church. I was blessed by having a moral mom and dad to the point that they wanted me to be a moral man as I was growing up to uh, have integrity. My dad would say, Stan, good boys go to heaven, bad boys go to hell. I can still hear his voice today. And then he would tell me again that I really wasn't good. I did not deserve to go to heaven. 
So truly, I guess in a way, that was a governor on my life because I grew up without smoking, drinking. I didn't fool around with girls. I didn't do drugs, although that was the time of life. But I can tell you, I was scared silly of dying. I got involved in the surfing culture in the early 60s. And so I spent a lot of times at the beach. And when you did surf and you had a wipeout, some of them were very, very terrible. My two front teeth that I have today are not my teeth. They were knocked out on a surfing accident, a wipeout we would call it. And so I was very much afraid of dying. I remember in my room one night and I finally had enough of this fear. And I, can, I cried to God and I said, oh God, I want to know what do I need to do to go to heaven? Whatever it is. Whatever it is, I will do this for the rest of my life because I don't want to go to hell. I think I would have been willing to walk on glass. I think I would have been willing to do anything he wanted me to do. I just want to know how to go to heaven. Little did I know that God was still working in my life as an unsaved person. And he had me go to a class called speech and debate in high school. I wanted to go to that class because I wanted to go into speaking and teaching and maybe radio and television, not as an actor, but more as an announcer or weather or news or something like that. So I took that class for that reason. I sat in the back because I liked looking out the window because I could see what the weather was like and maybe anticipate if it was windy, the waves would be up and I can go to the beach. The teacher saw that, so she then said, Stan, you're going to move over here. So she put me in the front of the room next to another student. This other student then started within just a matter of days. Hey, how would you like to go to a youth meeting? It's called Ranch. I said, what? She said, yeah, Ranch. I said, what do you do at Ranch? Now, this is going to date me. She said, it's, it's a hoot nanny. Now, you old folks know what a hoot nanny is. You young people says, what's a hoot and what and hoot, ha, hoot. And that's what it, she said. They sit around, they play guitars, and then we study our Bible. When I heard all of that, obviously, what would go through a guy's mind who never went to church, never uh, sit around, study the Bible. You must be social rejects, you know, just jerks in life. And you study that big family Bible that weighs about 25 pounds, you know. I, I don't want to go to that. And she said, well, okay, but I want you to know I got tickets to a championship football game between Miami High and Miami Coral Gables and the Miami Orange Bowl. And if you go with me to that youth meeting, I'll take you to the ball game. Now, I'm no dummy. This gal was absolutely gorgeous. It was Carol. And I thought, and she was an upperclassman, and I wasn't. And so what upperclassman girl would then want this geeky, nerdy nobody to go with them? So I just, this is great. I'll, wherever you go, I'll go, you know. So I went, and I, you know, she came by the house, and she was smart. She wasn't doing this missionary dating, you know, in other words. She had her girlfriend named Lindy Yule come up, sit in the front seat of her car. And I thought, that's my seat. No, 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 Lindy Yule sits there. You sit in the back. So I'm in the back of a Corvair Monza. And I thought this was going to be a hot date. And now it looks like I'm a little boy getting carried off to some Bible study. Went to the football game. I don't remember who won. I do remember I did say to her, it's time to take me home. And she said, Stan, you uh, said you promised you'd go with me to this youth thing you got to go. And I guess that was the very first time I began as a real promise keeper. So I said, okay. So I went. And so as we went there, I knew something was wrong because as soon as we pulled into the parking lot, there was cars everywhere in this church parking lot. I thought, what is going on? We finally got into the room. The room was maybe a third of the size of the sanctuary. And we walked in. The place was wall-to-wall teenagers, carpeted all over the place. And uh, no chairs. There was too many kids for chairs. So they had them all down. So we scrunched down. 
And then I got a chance to hear what was going on. From one end of the room to the other were guitar players, very similar to the team that was here, but much more excited, vibrant, you know, music, things I haven't even heard before, just singing and having a good time. And then they logically and reasonably brought the music down, so they brought the tempo down, so it would become more contemplative. I think that was smart. And then the man got up on a stool with a well-worn Bible that looked like he drug it behind a pickup truck. You've ever seen Bible, people that had those old Bibles? All right. So as he did all of that, he then did something that I, I kind of copied him. He didn't just start right out with uh, right into the Bible. He said, is there anyone here today that would like to share a testimony of how to go to heaven when you die? And first off was the football players. And he said, okay, sure. And he would. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He shared that. And my mind was first, I know what these guys say in the locker room. I know the jokes they say. I know what they say when they drop the football. You know, how can they know they're going to heaven? But I still paid attention, didn't do anything about it. Then they had cheerleaders get up there. I don't know what they said. They were just too good looking. So I just saw them up there and they probably said the same thing. That's all I remember. Then the next thing that he did that I kept in my ministry when I work with youth is that instead of going right into some little good, goody little message about Jesus, he then took the time to show us how we could know the word of God is God's mind and God's voice on paper. So he proved to us that scripture was reliable through science and history and prophecy, how it can work in our own life. And so by then I'm saying, whoa. This book is kind of a mystical, magical book. This is a real special book. And then he very clearly presented to us how that we can know we have eternal life. Now, he used an illustration that most of you have seen me do hundreds of times when I was here. But some of you that are guests may not have seen me do this. And I really encourage you to do this. They filmed this in Mongolia so they could show it to their people. And I really wanted them to do that because I thought, if anything, if they at least do this illustration, they won't get off the reservation on the gospel. They'll be able to keep it clear. This man said, let my right hand represent you and me and let my wallet represent sin. And the Bible says we all have sin on us. The Bible says that we're a sinner here by nature because we're born with that, but also by choice. And because we're a sinner, we're separated from God and we're placed in hell forever and ever and ever. That's horrible. The Bible says you have to be perfect to go to heaven, but you'll never be perfect enough to get there, Revelation 21, 27. So even if you logically think if you turn over a new leaf and be good and try to do all these nice things, whether they are religious good deeds, like joining churches, keeping the commandments, baptisms, all of that, or social good deeds, like feeding the poor and all of that, no matter what good deed it is, you still have sin on you, and nothing you do can get rid of that sin. You're stuck with it. So then he said, let my left hand represent Jesus Christ. Can you see that from the back? This is my left hand. It's representing Christ. Notice there's no sin on my left hand. But I do have sin on me since this hand represents you and me. And notice what happens with my sin. It separates me from Christ. Of course it would. He's holy. I'm not. And sin separates us. Separates me from heaven. That's true too. I can't get to heaven. That sin is my block. He can't let me and sin get into heaven. Otherwise we'll mess up heaven like, like we're messed up now because of sin. But the Bible says God loves me, but he hates my sin. So when Jesus died, he took all my sin on himself and he died. And he rose again from the dead. So in a sense, he paid my ticket to get into heaven when he died and he rose again. But even though he paid my ticket and he's offering me that ticket to get there, I still need to do something to get there. I like to say it's the only work that's not a work. I need to just place my faith now in Jesus Christ. Now when I place my faith in him... 
I won't perish, but I'll have everlasting life. Now listen very carefully what I'm about to say. Well, as excited as I am about dying and going to this wonderful, blissful place called heaven, it's really not so much about this wonderful, blissful place called heaven. It's that I will be with Jesus Christ forever and ever and ever. I could tell you about our nice home and I could do everything I can. You come to my nice house. What good is it if you're not there with me? I want you there because I'm there. You ought to be there because I'm, not, I'm there, not because you come into a nice house. So I want to go to heaven. I'm grateful for all what heaven will be like. But it's not heaven without Jesus. So when I trust Christ as Savior, I do get heaven, thank God. But I also get Jesus, thank God. But watch this. I don't get Jesus then when I get to heaven. I get Jesus right now. Because he is life. And it's all wrapped up in Jesus Christ when I place my faith in him. So that means I not only have a home in heaven... But I also have Jesus now for the rest of my life because he seals me, he walks with me, he takes care of me, prompts me, he teaches me, he reminds me, he convicts me. He is there, he's my altogether lovely in my life. Solomon said, whom have I in heaven but you? And there's none upon earth I desire beside thee. All right, that's what I have with Jesus when I trust Christ as Savior. How many know John 3.16? Would you quote it with me very carefully? All right, very carefully. For God so loved the world... That he gave his only son. That whosoever behaves shouldn't perish but have everlasting life. Is that what it says? No, it doesn't say that. Most quoted verse in the Bible, but it doesn't say that. Let's quote it correctly now, okay? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son on the cross. That whosoever believes and behaves shouldn't perish but have everlasting life. Is that what it says? No, it's not believing and behaving. Believing and behaving is like the guy who puts one foot on the dock and the other foot on the boat and the boat takes off. You're neither on the dock or in the boat. You've got a problem. So it's not by grace and works. It's not by believing and behaving. Now listen very carefully. Quote it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes should not perish but have everlasting life. Is that what it says? No, it doesn't. It says, whoever believes in him. Now, I'm making that distinction. I know it's a theological hair that I'm splitting, but listen very carefully, dear ones. This is the difference that make it clear. Florida Bible College, Stan and Carroll, want to make in the lives of other potential Christian leaders that they too would teach it correctly and clearly. It does not say whoever believes. It says whoever believes in him. The reason it says that, because faith doesn't save anyone. Belief doesn't save anyone. Dependence doesn't save anyone. It is always the object of what we trust that saves us. If I believe in me, I can't be saved. If I believe in whatever religious system I create, I will not get to heaven. Whatever social system I believe, I cannot get to heaven. I will not have a relationship. They will not have that potential of heaven. But when I place my faith in him... Because he is the Lord who died and rose again. He is the Savior. When I trust in him, then I'm really saying, I can't do it. It has to be totally of you. If I said, whoever just believes, then all of a sudden I'm believing in myself and my own ability to believe rather than in him who says, I'll save you. Now watch very carefully. It is not how much faith I have in him, because scripture says, as a grain of mustard seed or as a little child, so it doesn't take a lot, it just takes a complete faith, where you're totally and only trusting in Christ to give eternal life. Is that simple or not? Is that accurate or not? So now the question is, will you place your faith in Christ alone? 
And you can do it right now, right in your mind. Lord, I'm trusting in you. Well, you would think that. After this whole thing was over at that youth meeting, it was so interesting because when we all got up, Carol then comes up to me and she says, well, did what that man say to you make sense? And I said, sure. And he said, she said, well, then, all right. How many birthdays do you have to have to go to heaven? And I thought, well, I'm 16, so easy, 16 birthdays. She said, no, you need two birthdays. I said, huh? Two birthdays. I said, what do you mean? She said, you need to be born in your mom and dad's family, and obviously you are. The next is you need to be born into God's family. You didn't do anything to get in your mom and dad's family. You don't do anything to get into God's family. You believe you're in your mom and dad's family and you are. You believe that you're in Jesus Christ, God's forever family. And you will be if you'll place your faith in Christ. She shared a couple other things with me, some scripture. And that night, I trusted Christ as Savior. That didn't end there. I was so excited. I made a bold declaration. I ran home. Where I drove home, ran in the door. And my dad was waiting up. Remember, the football game was late. The youth meeting went longer. Got home after midnight. Youth meeting was in South Florida, South Miami. I lived in North Miami Beach. Long drive. My dad waited up. My dad's a rough and tough, hard-to-diaper construction worker. Never waits up for his son. Needs his sleep. He waited up for me. Where have you been, Stanley? Now, my mom and dad are the only ones that can call me Stanley. <clears throat> Where you been? I said, I've been at this youth meeting, and Dad, i got to tell you something. I learned tonight I'm going to heaven, and you're going to hell. I mean, that was my first experience at witnessing to my lost dad. That was my bold declaration. Obviously, it needed to be cleaned up with a lot more grace and other things. But the point of the matter is, is that it became so real to me that I wanted to make that bold declaration. So I'm asking you, are you to the point in your life that you're willing to declare that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God and that he now is your personal savior by faith alone. Now, if you're willing to do that, the deal is sealed. I get that. But wouldn't you want to go a little bit further than that? I like to say it this way. Wouldn't you want to make your bold declaration and then live your life committed to that Christ who saved you? As a way of not staying saved, but as a way of saying, thank you, Lord, for what you've done. Not as something I keep on doing so I don't get it taken. I am doing this because what I got cannot be taken. What better way can I say thank you to the Lord? Thank you, Lord. Go on with life. That's, that's not it. Saying thank you to the Lord is so, saying, Lord, you, you, you died for me. And so now I'm going to die, quote, to myself, but live for you. If you have your Bibles now, I'd like you to open them up because I want to take you to some passages here that might really be a blessing to you. Turn, if you will, to Galatians, if you will. No, we won't be long, but I do want you to have some truth here behind all of this. So if you will, turn to Galatians for just a moment. When you get into Galatians, you're going to see such passages as Galatians chapter 2, verse 16, and Passages that will really help you understand the great joy that we can have that's being found in Christ, in Christ alone. And I pray that that'll be a blessing to you like it is to me. But in Galatians, it talks about that I live not by my own faith, but I live by the faith of the Son of God. So if you will look at Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. 
I'm going to read it out of this translation, and I'm only doing it because there are some of you that might be so new to Scripture, and this might be helpful to you because it's said a little bit more simply, although there are some great literal translations that might be helpful to you. This translation is the New Living Translation. I prefer to study out of the New King James and out of the New American only because I prefer a more literal translation when I do this. But for you guests that are here, listen to this. Paul is now writing after he's made his bold declaration of trusting Christ as Savior. It's his way of saying, here's my thank you life declaration. Galatians 2.20. It says it this way in this translation. I myself no longer live. Oh, truly he does. Physically he lives. But moving forward with his life with meaning. I myself no longer live, but Christ now lives in me. So I live my life in this earthly body. I love it. By trusting in the Son of God who loved me, and I love this last part, and gave himself for me. So Christians, if you trusted Christ as your Savior now, are you ready to make your bold declaration to say, Lord, I now want to live my life for you, the one who gave his life for me. Now, parents, listen to what I'm about to say. This is really important, really important. You grandparents, too, might consider this if your own kids aren't really there yet, but you want to reach your grandkids. Listen carefully. You probably are the strongest, most accurate, passionate Christian those family members know. And I would love for you to Make that bold declaration of your own testimony to your own kids and attempt to what we might use the phrase, lead them to Christ. You can't make them a believer, but you can lead them all the way there, help them to understand what decision they need to make and how to place their faith in Christ. And then through God's way, they will be born again. So you do that. Most of you know that. Most of you know to do that. You also know that you're grateful for Sunday school teachers who do it, but the responsibility falls upon you. I get that. But over the last 10 or 15 years, I have added to that now. How many of you, as a parent or a grandparent, after you know your kids are saved and they are giving as much of a clear witness back to you that they're a Christian, have you led them into a full surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? Have you had that conversation with them to fully surrender to the Lord as a Lord of their life, not to get saved, not to stay saved, but because they are saved. Most of the time we'll take them to the first step, but we forget or neglect to take them to the next step of a full time of consecrating themselves to the Lord. Is it possible, catch my logic for a moment, is it possible that we've had Christians that have gotten saved, but we wonder why our kids have drifted because they did not understand what it means now to be a fully surrendered Christian to the Lord, not as a part of getting saved, but as a part of being saved, if you know what I'm saying. Can you, can you parse the two? If you can, nod your head. Got it, all right? And go back to them to say, I've done that. So here's what happens. Once they have come to that surrendership, then you could go back to them when they start getting off the reservations, as we will too, and then say, you know what? You made a commitment not only to be a Christian, but as a Christian, you've also said he is the master, the CEO, the boss, the head coach of your life, and you're not listening to him. You're not obeying him as the coach of your life, and that's why you're not able to win this game of life. And so now live with Christ living his life in you and dying to yourself because of what he's done for you on the cross. He's the Lord of your life. 
So don't put lordship into salvation, but put lordship as a result of salvation, that that's what they need to do. That's the bold declaration. So now I come back to you Christians. Was there a time, whether it's at camp, a seminar, a service, or just privately out in these beautiful woods here of North Georgia, where you've said to the Lord, Lord, I I know I'm a Christian. I've been doing all the little things, pray and read and all this stuff, but I have never fully, completely, 100% given my life totally to you that whatever you tell me to do through your word, I will do it no matter the cost until the day I die. If you haven't done that, then maybe God brought me here for that, for you as a Christian. I hope you will do that. But now watch. Going back to my parallel between the patriots, they made a bold declaration, but a bold declaration makes not a patriot, but a bold declaration all does not make a dedicated Christian. There's a price that you and I need to pay. And the colonies, a third of them were apathetic. A third of them still surrendered to the British Empire. A third of them were deciding, this is real. So here's what I'd like to present before you. There is a real battle and there is a real enemy. Ephesians chapter 6 talks about who our real enemy is. It's Satan. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando, Florida. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Make it clear.